So right now we're in John 18. Last week we did uh, verses 1 through 11. Today we're going to be doing 12 through 27. We're looking at the denials of Jesus. Like Peter denies him, uh, Annas denies him, denies him. The officer strikes Jesus. That's in essence denying him. We're looking at where Jesus is denied by the world. That's today. Then keep looking. Jesus is then before Pilate. So we're going to see Jesus before Pilate. Um, and Pilate at one point in verse 38 says, well, what is truth? So we're going to look at that next week. And that question, what is truth, is in response to Jesus saying that everyone who is of the truth listens to me. And then Pilate says, well, what is truth? So to know what truth is means to know Jesus. So next week, we're going to look at Jesus, what his claims were, who he is. In essence, we're going to be saying, here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what it means to be a Christ follower. Then after that, you see chapter 19, the next week, it's Jesus is crucified. And then the next week, we're going to look at the death of Jesus, which is going to end chapter 19. And then we're going to have about a week or two where we look at the resurrection. And then we're going to be at the end of John. So about a year and a half's journey, probably. Maybe five years journey. I don't know. I have no concept of time. But we have been trekking through John, looking at the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And now we are finally to the end of Jesus. So around the end of October, we're going to finish the book of John. And so that's just kind of a preview of where we're going. But it's also a way to say we are not going to accelerate past the part that we are most familiar with. The part that we as Christians are most familiar with tend to be the virgin birth and the sacrificial death. We know these over and over in our culture. We know he was born of a virgin. We know that he died on the cross and we know that he died in our place. And we know the details Right, Because we're good Christians, we've been raised in church, but we don't want to rush past them just so we can simply dwell on what God's Word has given us. But there's a preview. By the end of October, we're going to be finishing the book of John. And then what we'll probably do is we'll probably take a short epistle, a short letter in the New Testament, and we'll work through that. Um, so we're not picking a Revelation is what I'm saying. That's not next. Hebrews and Romans are not next. We're going to pick something shorter. And then we're going to boomerang back to the Old Testament, do a short book in the Old Testament or, or wherever God leads us. And then we're going to be back in the New Testament again. But we're going to keep moving through books. But there's just kind of a trajectory uh, as we move from this point and through the coming months. All right, so here we go. With that said, we're going to pick up where we left off. And where we left off was that Jesus was just arrested. And we talked about several things last week. We're going to do 12 through 27, and it says this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, who was a father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with, Je with Jesus into the high court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he, Peter, said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching, and Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. 
I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? As those who've heard me, what I said to them, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers, right? So there's more, but one of them standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it and at once a rooster crowed. So as any good sermon, I've got three points because you only you got to have three points, right? Here's every single point. Jesus, the son of man, the son of God is denied. That's point one. Point two is Jesus, the son of man, the son of God is denied. And point three is Jesus, the son of man, the son of God is denied. And you might even be working through the framework. Oh, well, Peter denied him three times. We're focused on Peter's denial three times. It's not. Really, the emphasis of these verses is that Peter, I'm sorry, is that Jesus is absolutely, completely denied. Denied by the disciples who have fled. No one stands by him anymore. Denied by Annas, the the high priest, even though Caiaphas is the high priest. I'll explain that here in a second. They deny him. The officer shows his denial by striking Jesus and saying, you can't talk to him that way. If Jesus was who he says he was and the officer thought he was who he said he was, then he wouldn't have struck him because you don't strike the creator of all things. And then it all ends with Peter's final denial. But all of these passages point to one thing, that Jesus is going to be denied. It's, this is the fulfillment of Scripture. This is part of that wondrous mystery to me. I love the song, Wondrous Mystery. It's the one that I, I like to sing over and over. You don't want me to sing it over and over. Chess gets tired of hearing me sing, period, because I can't sing. I make a joyful noise to the Lord. But there is this wondrous mystery that a man would hang upon a tree, but not man alone, but he is this, this odd fusion of 100% God, 100% man. It's a compre- We can't grasp that. We waste too much time trying to reconcile truths that are heavenly and not earthly. So I tell people, and I'm okay with it, how do you reconcile that? That makes no sense. I'm like, I know it's God. Praise the Lord, it's more than what we are. So I want to caution you, though, with this, that sometimes we are in this this huge danger of saying, well, Jesus is God, so he can endure that. Jesus is God, so he can bear the denial. Jesus is God, so it's all okay. Y'all, Jesus was man also. So whenever we see the denials and the crucifixions and the beatings and everything about to come, keep in mind that just like me and just like you, he was a man of flesh. He felt what we felt. He, he endured what we would endure. He did this so that he could be our high priest in heaven, having known all that we are. So if you will, whenever we're reading this, okay, we got we to gotta walk that tension that last week in the garden, he stepped up and he said, who are you looking for? I'm him. And like, there's this brave, heroic moment, right? Where Jesus steps forward. That's who I am. And right now, the King of glory is on his throne, taking full delight in everyone who calls upon his name. And he is God. But in these moments, he is also fully 
human. So whenever he gets punched in the face, I don't think he just turns his face back real strong like Hulk Hogan. I'm like a kid in the 90s and I watched Hulk Hogan in fights and at a certain point in the match, Hulk Hogan could be beaten down and then they would go to punch him again and all of a sudden, no, he had no punch ever hurt Hulk Hogan again. I'm not talking about the Incredible Hulk, William. I'm talking about this wrestler named Hulk Hogan, okay? But they could punch Hulk Hogan and he would just keep shaking his head. That was not Jesus right now is what I'm trying to say. He felt the punches. He felt the flesh ripped from him. He feels the denial that's laid upon him. Remember what it said last week. Jesus knowing all things, he asked, who are you looking for? And so he's bound. We need to see him as the man that he fully is in these moments. Or I think we're going to miss something. But, but real quick, I think that what we're seeing here is Isaiah 53.3. Isaiah 53.3. So the, the book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before any of the New Testament that we're about to read. So about 700 years before Christ comes on the scene, Isaiah writes Isaiah chapter 53. And we say 53, it actually starts better in Isaiah 52. Um, so we, this is one of those times where those numbers mess us up in our Bible. They're good references, they're good addresses for us to pull up to, right? But sometimes they're not perfectly placed. And perfect, more perfectly placed would be at the end of Isaiah 52, Isaiah starts prophesying about the coming Messiah, the one who would suffer for us. So listen to Isaiah 53, 3, written 700 years before Jesus was born. It says, He was, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's exactly what we're about to see. The complete rejection and despising of who Jesus is, even by those who walked closest to him. Turn to Psalm 22 for me real quick. So you're going to turn to your left, Psalm 22. Some of the Psalms, which again were written in the Old Testament, they actually talk about Jesus. And if Jesus is the Messiah, then these are called Messianic Psalms. So they took the word Messiah, they made it as a way to describe a Psalm. So a Messianic Psalm is a Psalm that's about the Messiah even though the Messiah wasn't here yet. So they're actually pretty prophetic. Psalm 22 is one of those psalms. Look at the, verse, the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who are we used to hearing say those words? Jesus on the cross. In his final moments as he's hanging there, he says, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus knows the Scripture, but the Scripture also knows Jesus. So as we read the Old Testament, we see Jesus coming. We see Him layered coming over and over again throughout the ages. But I think Psalm 22 gives us a picture, again, of where Jesus is about to walk. So written long before Jesus, but it perfectly captures Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I find no rest. Yeah, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. And Psalm 22 continues, but, but that, is, that is what we're seeing in Jesus in this moment. So yes, absolutely, praise Jesus on high, but His praise is worthy because of what He endured on our behalf. So He is at a moment where He is being despised and rejected by the ones He came to save. Flip back to John 18 for me. John 18 You and I know what he's about to endure, the mocking, the ridicule, the crucifixion. We we know about the resurrection. We know that he's going to overcome death and there will be an empty tomb. We boast in all those things, but we can't fast forward past the parts we don't like, right? We can't fast forward past the parts that make us uncomfortable and that break our heart because it is in that giving of himself that our redemption was bought. So we glory, don't mishear me, The point at the end of today is not that we leave here going, oh, I I should, I'm just feel horrible. But it should be, I hope, still an exalting of Christ. All that he willingly did on our behalf. He absolutely is redeemed and in glory on high. We are joyful in that. But we need to make sure we understand what he felt and what he endured for our sake. There's the heart of the gospel. He redeemed us. He suffered for us. And let's not forget that as we read this, he was a man. He prayed. Remember, he prayed that this cup would pass from him. And we talked about that last week. He, he steps up in the garden, but not until he's also prayed that we saw in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He was also praying, God, can you take this? Like, you can do everything can you just take this cup from me? But if you won't take it, I'll, I'll drink it. It also tells us in Luke that he was under such distress that he was literally sweating drops of blood. This is a medical condition where the stress on the person is so extreme, that distress is so extreme that literally they will begin to sweat drops of blood. So use that to kind of feed into this context right here that he is God, but he's also fully man. He wasn't coldly praying Oh God, you can do all things. Let the cup pass for me. But he was to the point of distress. And he's going to die on the cross quicker than anybody else. I mean, they're even going to be astonished that he dies so quickly. But it's because of his utter exhaustion in this moment. And all the suffering that he endures. So whenever Jesus is brought in before um, the high priest, he doesn't come in there like this. You know it's true. He doesn't come in like that. He's exhausted from praying all night. He's been sweating blood. And he's brought in. So here's this humble king of all heaven. So point one, we've already covered it. Point one is that Jesus is denied. We already know his denial's coming from the Old Testament. We see it. Now we're in point two, which is Jesus is denied. And I want, to look, I want to look at each one of these scenes as point two. So all of these fit into point two. 
Look at Jesus faces Annas and Caiaphas, scene one. So the band of soldiers, verse, starting verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, who was the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Okay, so he's brought in here. Let's just lay it out. The soldiers, they bring him in into, to, to Annas, who's a high priest. Okay, so the high priest is the highest, highest person in their religious society. So this would be, just for the sake of a, a, just so we can understand it better, this would be like they took him to the Pope. They took him to the highest order in that area. If they can't get to the Pope, then for us, then, then we would say, like, if Paul did something wrong, then you wouldn't bring him to me. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a leader in a church. We would be taking him up through the Southern Baptist Convention to the president of the convention. They're bringing him to the person, like the one of all authority. So these soldiers, they bring him in there. And in this high position, no one stands with Jesus. Jesus is alone. All the disciples have fled. It would look a lot like this. If, I don't know if you're keeping up with what's going on with John MacArthur, but John MacArthur has been ordered to cease meeting as a church, and then a judge overrode that and said, no, they can meet. Well, now John MacArthur's under fire again and been told, if you don't quit meeting, you're going to be arrested. To which John MacArthur said, I've never had a jail ministry, and all the things I've done, this will be fun. You can arrest me if you want to. Okay, so that is actually starting to happen. This is a reality that not only are churches being advised not to meet, but John MacArthur's to the point where they're saying, if you continue meeting and you don't find a way to do this, then we will arrest you. And John MacArthur, in typical fashion, just basically says, okay, bring it on. I will cease to preach. I will not cease to preach the gospel. But what if while we were meeting, the police came in here and they said, y'all need to stop. And I said, oh, we're not stopping. So they arrest me. The equivalent of this, not saying I'm like Jesus, but just to put a real world context, when they arrest me, none of you rally behind, but you all make your way out that gate. Everyone flees and I'm taken. And you don't ever come back to the courtroom. You don't come to the jail. You don't come to see me. Bye, Ricky. You're on your own. Sorry that we contributed to that. And that's it. Jesus alone. If John MacArthur gets arrested and no one from his church rallies around him, that's, that's kind of the picture here, just in a real-world setting. But, you know, that's even prophesied in Scripture that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. So Jesus, knowing all these things, but I want you to get, he stands alone. Like people used to come to try and crown him as king and now they fled from him. They used to flock to his miracles and his powers and now no one's standing there. His disciples who walked alongside him for three years and who love him and who said, we will never leave your side. No one stands with Jesus. He is alone. Can you imagine what that must feel like? Feel it as a man and as a person that everyone you rely on, just gone. It says, uh, I want to, this was back in John 11, because it says that, that uh, Caiaphas is the one who prophesied that one must die, that it would be more expedient. Here's what it said in John eleven forty nine. 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. 
He did not say this of his own accord. Verse 51 says, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also together into one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to, to death. So Caiaphas, speaking in his wisdom of man, said, oh, you know the way we're going to stop this rebellion is we're going to kill that man. If we kill that one man, then nobody else will rebel. We're going to save the nation in that way. But verse 51 says, oh, he didn't realize he was prophesying that Caiaphas, by killing Jesus, by trying to stop a, a rebellion, is actually going to be used by God to redeem the lost. So this plan has been laid in motion by Caiaphas. And he didn't even know what was going on. But Jesus in that moment with Annas, he's completely deserted. Okay, now, then we switch to scene number two because John's going to add drama. Like any good Netflix show, there's going to be drama. You've got to insert the scenes, okay? So now here comes scene number two. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. We don't know their name. It could be John. It could be another. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he got to enter with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. All right, so where does this take place? It doesn't happen in a private room like in the, you know, in the, the sunroom right over here. This is actually going to happen in the courtyard of the high priest. So this is a public spectacle that's happening, and this is going to matter because Peter is standing right out, let's use like, Peter's standing right outside that gate watching everything that's happening to Jesus. There's another disciple that got to stand right over here, and I like how Scripture is going to help us because winter's coming, and we can start meeting in houses and in, uh, in places, but they build a charcoal fire, and it seems to work, right? So I'll, so we're just going to use Scripture. We're going to set up some charcoal fire pits around here, thanks to Boris, and we're all just going to sit around them and be warmed while we read Scripture. Okay, so it's happening in the courtyard. It's a public spectacle. Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and he spoke to the servant girl, says, who kept watch at the door, and she brought in Peter, and she says to him, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Right, we're in scene two. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing. And it says that Peter also went with them. So Peter moves from the gate, where he can see all that's happening over here, and he moves to one of these charcoal fires. And so now he's actually pretty close to the whole scene, and he's been brought in. And he's watching this. Which means if he's watching it from here, Jesus also knows he's here. Right? And we're going to look at that at the very end. That in Peter's final denial, it says that Jesus turned and looked at him. But can you imagine that? You stand here and you suffer. You've been completely rejected and denied by your disciples. They fled. And then the ones who did follow you are standing there with no association towards you. That was scene two. Matthew 26, 33. Now, here, here's who this Peter is, the one who just said, I'm not. In Matthew 26, 33, Peter told Jesus, he says, though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Right? There's like that brother that sticks closer, or that friend sticks closer than any brother. This is Peter who told Jesus just a couple of chapters ago, don't wash my feet only, but wash my head, wash my entire body. And he was essentially saying, make me completely clean inside and out. I'm completely yours, Jesus. This is the same Peter who in John 6, 8 said, 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the same guy over there. And then it's also the same Peter who said in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what's my point in all of this is that Peter, who is over here, who goes, I don't know him, is the same Peter who said to Jesus' face, I won't ever leave you or forsake you if a whole world falls away. I have never felt that degree of rejection where a friend has completely turned his back on me. I've had friends who distance grows and there's a brokenness there. I've had friends who've disappointed me and that I've no doubt disappointed, but I've never had someone who vowed an allegiance to me and who I openly hear reject me. And that's exactly what happened. So just again, that reminder Let's quit ascribing like, well, he's God. He's going he's to do this. He's going to be fine. But there's got to be a real moment in there because Jesus has to die fully as man, knowing and experiencing all that we do because he has to die as man and as God because that's the only way that this will happen. So as a man, he has got to feel that. Scene three, the high priest questions Jesus. So, so the high priest, I'm just in verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. So why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. If what I said is right, why do you strike me? Innocent sent him bound to Caiaphas, a high priest. All right, so let me help you real quick. It said earlier, this is just a confusion of clarity because we don't have high priests here. It says that Annas is the high priest. The officer just said, is that how you answer the high priest? And then it says that he's going to send him to Caiaphas, the high priest. So is there a high priest, a higher priest, a highest priest, or is this the high priest? Y'all, there is the high priest, okay? So I, and I don't quite understand all the dynamics of it. We don't really have to get into all the weeds of it. This might help, but Annas was the high priest from, from 86 to AD 15. And then it was Caiaphas, okay? But if, if, if Barack Obama or President Bush were to walk into this yard, that would be weird. Okay. But if they were, I wouldn't just say, hey, George, I'd say, this is what? President Bush. Once a president, always a president. President Obama. President Trump. Once a president, always a president. Once a high priest, always a high priest. So Annas, even though he is not the current reigning high priest, he has still got such influence over the office that really they bring him to Annas first and Annas, that's why he says, you need to send him to Caiaphas. Now this is into his realm. He's the high priest. And so that's that dynamic there, okay? So I just wanted to explain that real quick because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty dense and slow guy. And so I read, Annas is the high priest and Caiaphas is the high priest. That doesn't work. Like, who's the high priest? So I hope that that helps. It helped me. But get this. When he said it, whenever he said that, that I've done nothing in secret. Like, what, what do you accuse me of? You're asking me to tell you what I've already openly said. 
And then he know we already know that Peter's rejected him. The officer punches him. This is the first punch of many. This is the first blows of many. And here's what here's what I can't help thinking about. And we're going to talk about this later in the crucifixion and during the trial. But Jesus would absorb the wrath of God on our behalf. So with each hit, and I'm going a little bit, a little bit more, uh, a little bit, a little bit higher than just a literal reading of the text. But with each hit, is not the force and the punch of Ricky. But with each hit and each slap and each plucking of the beard, is the wrath of God behind each one of those. So you have the full wrath of God in each one of those hits and in each one of those beatings. And Jesus has to absorb all of that. So this hit comes. And what amazes me is that the soldier never knew the meekness of the man that he struck. Like Jesus has already said, I could call down every angel to fight for me. And you have no authority. He's going to tell Pilate, you have no authority to do anything except that I'm going to let you do it. And he's still sitting there and he takes the blow of the officer on his face. He takes this striking and he does it. He could have called down every defense, but instead he just willingly takes it. Why? Because the wrath of God has to be poured out. Nobody likes to talk about the wrath of God anymore. But we can't go through and remove the phrases in our Bibles that we don't like. But the wrath of God has to be poured out for sin. It's scriptural, like it's there. But the wrath of God is not poured out on you and me. It's all been funneled and poured out onto Jesus Christ who took the wrath of God, atoned for us, so that we never have to face the wrath of God. Make no doubt about it. The cost of your sin and my sin has already been spent. And the cost of yours or of other sin and, and the sins that they will commit, if they are not Christians, then there will be wrath. But the wrath will be spent on sin. Our great peace and comfort is that the wrath has already been spent. Now that there is no wrath, it's already been spent. But the wrath will be poured out. It will either be poured out on us or on the person of Jesus Christ. So praise the Lord. Whew, praise the Lord that he is good, right? But get this, the wrath of God must be poured out. The blow has to happen. Jesus has to be beaten. He has to be the sacrifice from God for God. But you know what? The wrath of man must also be vented. So he's not taking the punch of God alone. He's taking the punch of God and of man. And of all. Of, it's all funneling in here. And there is only one who could bear the magnitude of the wrath of God and the wrath of man. And he is Jesus Christ who has been bleeding and who has literally said, I will drink this cup because God, you are worth it. Scene four. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So he's still standing right over here. So they said to him, you're also not one of his disciples, are you? He denied and he said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. His name was Malchus, remember? He asked and he says, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Now I do think, real quick, I think that this guy would know if he just saw like his cousin or his relative get his ear cut off by Peter. I think that that's going to make an impression. Okay. So he, that's this guy. He turns and he's like, but, but you're him. Right? You were with him in the garden, and Peter says, Oh, that wasn't me. He denied it. Y'all, Peter, who denied Jesus two scenes ago, here's his heroic moment, though, right? If this were Netflix, if this were like some Hollywood movie, what would happen is that Peter would be feeling this. He would deny it twice. And now here's this one moment whenever Peter's supposed to say, I am. 
and then the music hits and the disciples they climb over the fence and everybody want, everybody rallies around Jesus and like here's this heroic moment and in this heroic moment what Peter says is no that's that's not me and then it says a rooster crows it'd be really cool if you had a rooster somewhere in the neighborhood and God just sovereignly ordained that in John 13:38 John 13, 38. Jesus told Peter, whenever Peter said, I will never leave you. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you that the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Jesus already knows it, right? He knows. Luke 22. Turn to Luke 22. I like this, this version. While you're turning there, I refer to the, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'll refer to them as the synoptic gospels. That just means that they sync up. So if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the scenes seem to, to play with one another. Right? They all seem to kind of tell the same story in the same order. There's differences in them that complement each other. They don't contradict. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're telling kind of the same story arc. John is completely different. A lot of the miracles and things that we see in John, we don't actually see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But what they all hold in common are the final moments of Jesus. The denials of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, because you know what they all absolutely know is absolutely true? That here are the most critical moments that you and I need. But I like how Luke tells a story. It says about an hour later, uh, I'm not sure, in Luke 22, where am I? I forgot to put the, the reference number. Um, maybe around 59 or 60. Okay. In Luke 22, 59 or 60, it says about an hour later, another man insisted, certainly this man was with him for he too is a Galilean. Man, I do not know what you're talking about, Peter replied. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him, that before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Look at verse 62. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And Matthew and Mark both record that he went out and he wept bitterly whenever he remembered. But can you imagine the weight of that stare? That you are Peter. You denied him on the way in. You deny him and you deny him again. And whenever you do, Jesus turns and looks at you. And then Jesus, or I'm sorry, and then Peter remembers all the words. But y'all, he suffered in our place. He was rejected and despised by men in our place. I just kind of, I kind of put it right here and I'm just going to read. That Jesus knew Peter and he knew Peter's course. Because he said, you're going to reject me. He knew Peter, he knew Peter's course. Yet he did not relent because it was not for Peter's loyalty. Listen to this. It was not because of Peter's loyalty that Jesus would die, but for Peter's salvation. He didn't die for them because of, they, they proved themselves because of their loyalty to him. So therefore, he's going to fulfill. He's going to do it because he's going to do what they don't even realize they need. He's going to die for their salvation. He will endure their denial so that he can bring them home. He knew the unjust harshness of the trial, and yet he would succumb to this mockery of justice because they're acting like this is a real scene here, like this is a real trial, like he's really going to be able to plead innocent or guilty here. That's all a mockery. There is one end result here. Y'all listen to this. Though every man be a liar, 
still Christ would be a redeemer. You absolutely will fail. You absolutely will deny him. It takes nothing away from who he is as a redeemer. That if every man abandon him, he will not abandon them who call on his name. So in those moments of sin, those are momentary momentary glimpses of where we choose the sin of self-preservation and self-desire over Christ who died for us. And even if we would deny him as brothers and sisters in Christ, he would not deny us. He will still be the Savior. That though the world will hate him, he is going to express his love by going to a cross and dying. So that's who's at the center of all of this. The shepherd will die for the sheep. He's willing to put his life down regardless of where the sheep scattered. Point number three, final point. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, is denied. Same point for one, two, and three. I want to put a final, final scope on this. Y'all, these, these several passages reveal the darkness of our human spirits. We don't like talking about that. No one's going to get a coffee mug that says, my heart is dark. Okay? But there's a darkness in the human spirit. The disciples, they, they walked the closest with Jesus and they, they fled. They're not even, even able to stand with him in the darkest moments. Um, each one's going to go to his own shelter, to his own security. You can't make any doubt about it that their fleeing is their mark of betrayal. They wouldn't even stand with him. Look at Annas. He's a, the great high priest and, and he's one of those, he's like a religious authority. He's one of the, the, just for our sake now, like one of the pastors of, of a church in town and Jesus is brought to him and he's going to refuse to even acknowledge the deity of Christ. He's like, you're, you're not God. That's why they want to kill him. The religious leaders want to kill him because he keeps saying that, that he's God and that he's one with God. He says, I am. And they're saying this is blasphemous. You're not who you say you are. Now, they can't deny his power. They can't deny his authority, but they can deny their view of his identity and they're saying, no, this is blasphemy. He's the authoritative voice of all the Jews, and he denies him. And then we get to Peter, one of his closest disciples who said, I will follow you like wherever you want to go and, or wherever you go, and who even follows him to his own trial. But he's even going to refuse to be associated with Jesus. All right, I want to make a quick note uh, real quick about Peter, though. That even though this is Peter's greatest moment of failure, Jesus will return to him after the resurrection and he's going to bring him back into the fold. He's going to go to the disciples. He's going to say, even though you fled, come near. It's the same Peter who openly denied Jesus in that moment right there during that mock trial and who Jesus looked at and Peter feels that, that bitter, that, um, sorry, feels the weight of that and he's bittered, embittered by it. Sorry, I stuttered over those words. And yet Jesus is going to forgive and redeem him. And that Peter is going to be the one we read throughout Acts who is going on mission and proclaiming the name of God. And he's going to be the one who writes first and second Peter. So even though Peter denies Christ, Christ will not deny Peter. And now the sobering reality you and I need to reckon with is the disciples, Annas, Caiaphas, the Jews, the disciples... Y'all, we would have responded no better than the disciples in that moment. It's easy for us, I think, to sit here and go, jerks, they just didn't get it. I would have so stood with him. I would have been there. Man, I, would have, I would have gone into there and I would have punched that officer. I would have gone to death with him. No, we wouldn't. Y'all, that's our pride. 
really in the moment of what's going on. It's our pride that makes us think that we would have never have done that, but you and I, we would have fled in that moment. The spirit of boldness that you and I have right now is because the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we have that confidence. They didn't have the Holy Spirit then. They have this man who claims he's God and he has to go to his death. All they have in that moment though is fear. It's just like saying that, well, if we were Adam and Eve, we would have never done that. Oh my, we do that every day, right? We seek our pleasure and not his will. They represent who we are. We are deniers by nature. We are deniers of Christ. That's who we really are. We are we're betrayers of goodness. We are mockers of God. I mean, these are perfect representations of who we are. It is only by God's good patience and mercy and love that He sought us. And then we now have that boldness to where if, if this were to happen today and the Spirit within us, I think that we could stand. And I think that one day when Jesus returns, we will stand. All the saints will be alongside him and his army as he declares to the world that he is king and every nation will fall down and we will stand in those days. But we stand in those days because he was left desolate in those. Listen to the prologue one more time of John chapter one and then we'll conclude. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, and this would be Jesus, in him was life and that life was the light of men. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among, among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son from whom the father, or from the father full of grace and truth. And now verse 10 and 11, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not recognize him. And that's where we leave. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected. One from whom men hid their faces. And that's where our scene stops. That's where we've got to stop today. Next week, we're going we're gonna to have Jesus before Pilate. And then after that, we're going to have his crucifixion. And the goal is not to draw out... You know, this, this feeling of oh, sorrow, but it's this. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Y'all turn there. This is our conclusion. This is our application. Ephesians 2, and while you're standing there, listen to this. That though Jesus was denied, he will not deny those who call upon his name. That though he was left to stand alone, he will intercede for his saints. That though his disciples fled, we never have to fear the Lord fleeing us. In his loneliness, he was tasting the penalty of our sin. And in his beating, he was healing us with his blood. In his death, he was forever securing our salvation. There's a lot that's going on in these final scenes that if we just stop and dwell on them, we get this. Ephesians 2, 4-7, through 7. here's your application. Rejoice in this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, it is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's the application. That in standing trial all alone, despised and rejected by everyone who surrounded him. 
he was securing our salvation because of his great love towards us. So that while we were yet sinners, at the right time Christ died for us. But his death means denial. It means being uh, beaten. It means being ridiculed and mocked. It's going to mean his murder on the tree, on the cross. But that's not where the story ends. That's why we can go through these hard weeks because we know the end. That we sit here and we love to open Scripture and to sing these things. We're not beaten down by them. I hope what happens is an awareness that, oh my goodness, Christ knew all, is what it says, all that was about to happen to Him. And yet He stood up and said, who are you seeking? And this is my hour. Like that should just move us to, to worship. It should move us to love and to grace and to submission. But he had to be denied. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are never, we're never going to wrap our heads fully around all that you endured for us. But you being God condescended and came to earth, not even as a, not even as the Greeks and the Romans would see as a, as a beautiful, strong, quote, God. But you came to be born in a manger as a baby, to be cared for by others. You came in the meekness of man and as a servant, and you would wash the feet of your disciples. You would serve and heal those who knew nothing about you, and you would die for those who would betray you and deny you. Lord, I pray that what happens is, is not just a surpassing feeling of guilt, but, Lord, an awareness again and a, an exaltation of, oh my goodness, this is a God who came for us. And that we leave here thinking more and more about what you endured for our sake, that the gospel is not some three-minute presentation, but it is what you lived. It is a trial that you endured so that you could bear the wrath of God and the wrath of men and bring those together and rise again from the grave so that you could say, I am bringing the captives home. Lord, thank you that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, at the right time, you died for the ungodly. Lord, give us joy, give us praise, and give us the confidence to go out then and tell others. And Lord, if we are rejected and despised because of our message, how much more like you are we then? That when we uphold the name of Jesus, if we're rejected and despised, so were you. Lord, how great the union we have with you, not because we're despised by them, but because we are united more with you. Lord, we love you. Call out our praise. Amen.